Hello, and welcome back to Tabling the Podcast. My name is Ariana Karp, and I'm here with a wonderful group of actors that's going to take us through the short, sweet, feisty, fiery act two of Taming the Shrew. Hey, it rhymes. Hooray. Um, so we we did our induction. We've now finished the play without a play, <laughs> and we're going to be in the play within the play for the rest of the time. Uh, maybe we can talk at the end about what we would have done to wrap up the induction. Would you have added another thing where Christopher Christopher Sly was like, "Okay, I get it. Point taken," or something? I don't know. Um, does the page become his wife? Like, what happens? What happens to the Lord? What 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 are all the things that could happen in that little? play without a play so now we're going to jump in and see the Minilla family dynamic which as we'll find out from the top of this scene is a little bit violent and problematic so let's just go through uh the beginning of this scene with Katarina and Bianca through Baptista's entrance but before the whole entourage of suitors comes in just so that we get this little Minilla family dynamic um whenever you're ready good sister wrong me not nor wrong yourself to make a bondmaid and a slave of me that i disdain but for these other gods unbind my hands i'll pull them off myself yea all my arraignment to my petticoat or what you will command me will i do so well i know my duty to my elders of all thy suitors here i charge thee tell whom thou lovest best see thou dissemble not Believe me, sister, of all the men alive, I never yet beheld that special face which I could fancy more than any other. Minion, thou liest. Is not Hortensio? If you affect him, sister, here I swear I'll plead for you myself, but you shall have him. Oh, then, belike you fancy riches more, you will have Gremio to keep you fair. Is it for him you do envy me so? Nay, then you jest. And now I well perceive you have but jested with me all this while. I prithee, Sister Kate, untie my hands. If that be jest, then all the rest was so. Why, how now, dame, whence grows this insolence? Bianca, stand aside, poor girl, she weeps. Go, ply thy needle, meddle not with her. For shame, thou hilding of a devilish spirit. Why dost thou wrong her that ne'er that did ne'er wrong thee. When did she cross thee with a bitter word? Her silence flounts me, and I'll be revenged. What in my sight, Bianca, get thee in? What, will you not suffer me? Nay, now I see, she is your treasure, she must have a husband. I must dance barefoot on her wedding day, and for, you and for your love to her, lead apes in hell. Talk not to me. I will go sit and weep till I can find occasion of revenge. Was ever gentleman thus grieved as I? But who comes here? Okay, great. Let's pause there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. I just, I don't know why, but I really, I've always thought of Kate as like a, like a woman. You know, like a woman who's in her late 20s or early 30s, maybe. But Looks this like scene, Elizabeth Taylor. 
Yeah, looks like Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, violet eyes. You know that 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 really really difficult recessive gene, <laughs> the purple eyes. Um, but something about this scene and being the eldest of uh, three girls in my family, they're teenagers. They're so teenagers. Like this is not the way that people above the age of 18 behave like, yes, you, you still get in fights with your siblings when you're a teenager and they can get violent. And I just like, I wonder how the play shifts. If we think of Kate as like, you know, like an 18 year old, like really like emo 18 year old, but 18, like super moody, violent, nonetheless, 18 year old, um, as opposed to like, a woman that is a bit older. I don't know. That just struck me with with this with the scene. Where did you did any of you have any any thoughts about? Well, I've been thinking about violence? nothing but that for the last few months because that's exactly the ages of the of the people I've got playing these. Oh, yeah, and it just it looks it looks like a very typical teenage family dynamic. Yeah, with the parents being like, "Oh God, just make it stop." Yeah, this is very violent. I, I do want to say that it is she strikes her she has tied her hands up and is presumably dragging her around the house which is a little bit weird um and then after her father unties Bianca's hands Kate runs as if to go attack Bianca again um so I just I I do want to point out that Kate is very willing to use physical violence against her family members. Yeah, right. Does does anybody else oh. feel like she, Bianca kind of is asking for it? <laughs> oh, well, uh -oh. being the eldest, uh -oh. my um, my answer is always yes, totally. Right. Um, <laughs> But um, I, let me just put that on hold. Britt, did you did you have something that you, that oh, you wanted I to ask? Oh, I was just going to ask, you know, especially if she's young and this is the kind of behavior that goes at home. I'm wondering who's modeled that for her? Like, where yeah. has she learned that hitting and violence is okay? Because her father doesn't seem like he leads in that way, does he? I don't, I don't know. Where has she no. seen this before and known that that's like something she can get? A, I don't know. That's a really good point and gets to the whole nature nurture thing <laughs> <laughs> right did she just pop out of the womb like that or is like her deceased mother maybe was she yeah. the kind of person who did the same thing to her father you know and kind of ran the household yeah. like i just wonder what you saying that they were still teenagers really made me think like well i i don't know that they are but presumably at this time if they're unmarried it makes a lot of sense that they would be in their teens uh, especially if they're super wealthy, because there's no, there's no way that they would be. Although I guess you could yeah. argue maybe that, you know, she's a shrew as in like, she's just getting a little bit older. Like the whole reason that Kate's even more insufferable is that she's past the age of what mm. she should have already been married off or something like that. I don't know. You could, you could take it that direction too. Yeah. 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 Carol. And then Will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been really thinking a lot about what it's like to be, to be really smart, but not, but, but that's not credited to you, um, to have someone who, and the, Bianca, who 
goes out of her way to drive you crazy. Um, because there are those relationships. You, you know, dad's, dad's great, but Katerina is really sharp and really smart, and what she's being offered sucks. Mm -hmm. and, and her sister mocks her. And so, so some of that shrewishness perhaps is provoked. Well, I, I definitely get a, a bit of a provocation with the, with Bianca's line. So well, I know my duty to my elders <laughs> seems to be a bit of a dig at Kate. Like, I know I, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Uh, Will. Yeah. I guess just a question for you, Ari or Carol or anyone else who's worked on this more than me, it's, um, you know, do, do you guys think that this is a, a common occurrence that Kate ties her sister up and beats her and pulls her hair and all this stuff? Or is this the moment where the thread snaps and she's never done anything like this before, but because of this whole situation with, you know, the, you know, basically trying to sell her off so that she can marry the sister and whatever that now the thread is snapping. And so that's kind of the first question. Then I guess the second question is, Carol, I, can you give another example of like Bianca provoking her? Because I don't, I haven't picked up on that. Uh, we'll keep going. We'll keep going, and you'll, you'll <laughs> see the dynamic. It's it's okay. just um, she she likes to dig at her sister, but oh, but it depends God. on like what do you think of the line when when Baptista says what in my sight? Is this just something he says all the time? Like I can't believe you're doing this in front of my face. Or is yeah. the, or this the first time, as you were saying, Will, is maybe something has shifted? And is this the first time that it's gone beyond Bianca coming to him and say, Dad, she hit me? Yeah. I mean, I'm always a fan as a director of making whatever it is the first time because everyone's reacting in a really fresh way, right? Um, but uh, yeah, Koi. Uh, I recently saw Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Uh, that's the only experience I've had with that text, which is why I just mentioned it. I didn't read the book, but it reminds me. The way we're talking about Kate kind of reminds me of I think it's Joe, like one of the one of the leads in Little Women. How she kind of like she she's she's like kind of resisting um, the feminine role of the age, uh, and kind of has like she's very clearly in love with like she has uh, like desires, but she also is kind of fighting them because to be in love with a man also kind of pulls her into having to play these gender roles, which she's resisting. And um, I don't know, there's in the movie, there's some interesting things around her and kind of being this sort of a tomboy character or, or kind of trying to figure it out as she's growing up and maturing. And it just kind of reminded me when Carol's asking and we're mentioning kind of this, this type of violence and uh, kind of sibling uh, rivalry going on. I don't know if anyone else has seen that movie or, mm. or thinks there's a similarity there. That's really cool. I, I have not seen the movie. I'm a fan of Greta Gerwig, but um, yeah, I, I do remember that uh, my grandma gave me a Joe doll so clearly mm. that was the one she identified with me. So no, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> anyway, <Write a> book. <laughs> I got to read the book. <laughs> got to read the book. Um, it actually reminds me, speaking of sort of classic literature, 
I don't know why, but I'm getting a flash of uh, Pride and Prejudice and the five girls. And there's that great scene with Lady Catherine the bug, you know, where um, she's asking if all of Lizzie's younger sisters, are they out in society? And she says, yes, they're all, they're all out. And you know, Lady Catherine is like, oh, you know, and she's just like, oh, this is so improper. The younger one's out before the elders are married. And, you know, Elizabeth points out that like that would that would hardly if that was a strict rule, that would hardly make for very uh, cordial family relationships because the entire social life of the younger sisters is dependent on the elder sisters getting married or engaged. And so that sets up a very strange power dynamic, which is what exactly what Baptista has set up here, right? All of all of Bianca's marriage prospects um, are completely <laughs> on hold. Not that Bianca has met anyone she fancies yet. Um, but they're all on hold until Kate can get sorted. And I wonder if there is something about that power dynamic that is grating on both Kate and Bianca. Um, and I, like the line that, that really, really just hits me in the heart is Kate's line, her silence flouts me and I'll be revenged, right? And her silence mocks me is essentially what she's what she's saying. I love that she has this revenge. I don't know why this, this, this bit Reminds me of Beatrice in Much Ado About Nothing. Like, oh, that I were a man, I would eat his heart in the marketplace. You know, like there's there's just some, there's there's a similar just like, oh, I have this energy and this passion and this, and I, I can't be what I want to be because of this fucking society that I live in, you know? Um, yeah, Brit. And then- Oh, I was going to say for a second, it made me think of um, Midsummer too, when they have the fight in the woods, Helena and Hermia, mm. like, you know, like, some of even the wording is the same just where you're going and, and i guess they have they have sort of a, a they're not actually sisters but they had a you know a, a friendship that was that close you know and then when you involve men and all of that jazz i <laughs> i find that to be one of the most heartbreaking conversations between helena and hermia it's just like just talking about female bonds and like doesn't that go deeper than like how, how can you mock me this way you know that that scene always just breaks my heart um yeah will i just i don't i can't think of any other siblings uh sibling pairs in shakespeare that we see who are still living at home with their parents like we have violence sebastian and things like that but i can't think of another pair of siblings that we see in a familial context and i just think Shakespeare totally nailed this thing of like that the dynamic of this of the fighting siblings especially where one of them is kind of a goody two-shoes and the other one isn't and all the nuances of like manipulation and bitterness and there's just so much in that scene that is so psychologically like accurate to siblings and I don't know (laughs) is there somewhere else where he he has comedy bearers Okay. Vares has a very similar and that was probably written around the same time and that has Adriana who is married who her unmarried sister Luciana lives with her and her husband which is very odd in and of itself okay. 
But again, yeah. Adriana is the like very passionate and outspoken one, and Luciana is a bit of a wet fish, you know. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, coy. Just looking over this this page, this introduction page, like this, the lines themselves, what they're arguing about. It's it's very weird that Kate is. I mean, as yeah, obviously like bound her and dragging her along, but kind of say like, tell me who you like. She says. You know, I, it's not anyone. It's like, oh, you're lying. It must be Hortensio. Like, look, if you like Hortensio, then that's fine. You could have him. Like, oh, no, you probably like Grevio more. Like, that's all right. I get this as a joke. So please untie me. And then she slaps her hard. And it's like, oh, is that a joke? Like, I can't tell if it starts funny and then like escalates really rapidly. Or is it like, it is very, it is very weird. Um, Yo, and Kate has this sort of like, sorry? Why is Kate asking that? Who Bianca likes? It's weird. It seems, it? yeah, to me, there's this kind of like a paranoia within it, right? There's a paranoia that Bianca, like she, Bianca knows what she wants. And, and all of this pressure is because Bianca's working maybe behind Kate's back with Baptista because they have someone already planned out that she's in love with her. Like that to me feels like what's, there's some sort of a paranoia thing going on. But I, I don't so. know. That's. I think that's great, Koi. I also wonder if this is her attempt at, at a sort of intimate friendship. She doesn't know oh, how, to, how to come by it in an organic way. So she has to take her sister hostage and be like, tell me how you're feeling. Mm. You know, like, like friendship. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just get the, I get the, I get a deep sense of loneliness with Kate, mm. that like she really has trouble relating to people and and I don't know why in in my mind this is like all because she's lonely and she wants to talk to someone and her sister like never talks to her silence flouts her yeah yeah Carol go ahead well the people she chooses to ask about um would tell a, quite a tale about Bianca Gramio is an old guy he's the pantaloon yeah. he's got money you you like the old guy with money? Is that who you like? Yeah. Hortensio, um, again at the end, he he gives up his his wooing in a heartbeat to marry the rich old widow. So neither mm. of these men are like the romantic lead that you're going to have a let's have a girl talk conversation about yeah. these guys. These are horrible guys. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say, in Hortensio's um, defense. He actually, when he later in the play, when he comes and visits Petruchio and Kate, he actually, in my mind, shows Kate a moment of kindness and compassion that I think it really struck strikes me when I when we, when we get to it. I'm I'm really looking forward to that moment because to me that that is the Shakespearean right. We think of these guys as being very two dimensional, and then Shakespeare will give one of them at least one, <laughs> like. Ah, oh, a moment of humanity, a moment of three-dimensional uh, three reality, a, a moment, oh boy, a moment um, that complicates their character, right? And, and makes it so that you can't put them in a singular box. Yeah, Will, go ahead. So maybe I'm being too contemporary or sort of, you know, psychoanalytic about it or whatever, but it seems to me that this scene is to some degree evidence for the way I've always felt about Kate, which is that I think she's, 
she's she is actually jealous of Bianca and the attention mm-hmm. that Bianca is getting, and she. I think Kate wishes that she had suitors and she doesn't, right? And I think that this like tell me who you like stuff is coming from a place of of like bitterness and jealousy that she's got all you know, all these guys wanting to marry her and it's like, well, who are you gonna marry then? Like she's it's almost sort of a uh like she's sort of self inflicting this on her like making herself mm. feel worse to try to make herself feel better, that kind of thing. I don't know. I mean there's got to be some like motivation for that this question you know yeah Allie, go ahead personally i've kind of interpreted it always as her kind of blaming bianca for all of this pressure that's on her Mm. from her dad from society and that you know if she didn't have these like very specific actual real people suitors that there wouldn't be as much pressure of like, you have to hurry up and figure it out now. Yeah. Um, and so it's her being like, well, let's, let's, it's her kind of like very poor attempt at trying to like resolve things with her sister as far as like, you don't want to be with this guy, right? And you don't want to be with that guy, right? So maybe yeah. you could tell dad that and he could back mm. off. Mm. but it just like doesn't get there because they're not like communicating well I like that a lot I I and they also don't communicate in this they don't use the same language right like Bianca Mm -hmm. demures and is very good at not saying things and Kate is like she's a much more blunt instrument who's like tell me the stuff you know and there's such frustration behind it it just seems to me um yeah oh boy it reminds me of oh sorry go ahead oh I was just gonna say it kind of reminds me of the dynamic of a couple of kids that I babysat before where one of them like really rebelled against authority and the other one was knew how to be kind and say no thank you and it was like actually through being polite and saying yes you have a little bit more freedom than the you know the kid that just says no 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 like you're just then you have to trudge through more there's really complicated um, psychology studies on actually the benefit of teaching kids to say please and thank you um, that I was reading about because some psychologists argue is that you are you're you're teaching performance over like true you know you're just teaching like manners essentially are performative and that. Um, there can be a danger if, if, you know, in that, in the sort of extreme being Bianca of like, oh, no, I don't need anything, you know, and the, the sort of just almost retreat into non-communication because everything that you say is actually not truthful. Yeah. Um, so there's really interesting, there's interesting, complicated psychology behind that. Yeah, Allie, go ahead. Yeah, and it makes me think too about um a lot of things that like my female friends and I have been talking about recently with just like the ways that women have been kind of taught to respond to like street harassment and that there's kind of two camps one that's like very direct very aggressive and the other that's like just be polite just go along with it just get out of there yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah. 
but what I was going to say earlier too, is that um, it reminds me a lot of the way my brothers and I communicate actually, because I'm a very direct communicator and they're both very like indirect communicators. Mm. Um, it's bringing a lot of bells. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, it's sibling dynamic. I, I just, I find them utterly fascinating, uh, probably because I am a sibling. But also just, I'm really, I'm also really interested in the psychology of the order of siblings too, and how, how there tends to be certain personality types that manifest depending on where you were born. And also, obviously, if you don't have any siblings, other personality traits tend to form. And I think it has to just do with the family dynamic and and how and how it all happens but it is really I mean I I think we do get another maybe Shakespeare just didn't like older siblings because I'm also thinking of like Regan and Goneril right <laughs> like, <laughs> but um there is a really I think there's really interesting I think the sense of family we think of family in this complicated I think complicated almost romanticized way uh, today. But I think family in Elizabethan times was very political, especially uh, rich families. Um, and basically, you were your the property of your family. And to be ransomed off as you please to be told what to do. And I think there was there was much more of a sort of political dimension, a more overt perhaps political dimension to family relationships during the Elizabethan and Jacobean times than sort of we we think about. Um, I think they're probably there subliminally <laughs> today in different and manifest themselves in different ways, but they they were it was quite overt, you know. Um, and well, families would betray each other quite frequently during this time. <laughs> uh, yeah, Will. So I know this, like the sibling thing or the sibling order thing is, I know that um, like second children tend to be more agreeable than first children. And, <laughs> you know, they, I think the idea is, you know, that they have kind of learned from the mistakes of the elder child that growing <laughs> up, they see the older sibling, you know, being rude and uh not getting what they want because they don't behave properly and so forth so so children from a very young, like second children from a young age kind of learn to please the adults better than the first kid did because they've mm. been watched. and and this is like an extreme example of that that right i mean you can imagine as kids you know kate presumably was was born this way <laughs> to some degree and was you know kind of obnoxious from the time she was little and bianca has like very clearly learned from kate's example that if she's going to win at this game that she's in, she has to do exactly the opposite of what Kate's doing. Mm -hmm. And she is absolutely winning at this. And that's Said the good. second child. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Morgan, did you have any, any thoughts on Bianca that you would like to share or just, just this scene in their, in their relationship? Um, it's, funny like I, I feel kind of ridiculous when I, when I when i read this through last night i didn't realize that unbind my hands was literal i thought it meant just like um and reading it now i'm like oh my gosh it's obviously like her hands are literally tied up right now but um at the time i was thinking more more metaphorically of like your your 
you like not being wedded and, and your behavior is like holding me down and I can't get free. Oh, that's really interesting, actually. So it's like, it. it's, still, it's still a perspective, but um, reading it now, I'm like, oh, well, no, no, now it sounds like she's actually tied up. <laughs> but I, I think there's still validity in, in that thought, though. And, and maybe yeah. both ways. We all know Shakespeare liked, liked his, uh, his entendres. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Grayson. I find it interesting. I, so act one is all men, I believe. And then, so now we're getting another uh, gender involved, obviously, but not in a typical fashion. I mean, yeah. so uh, you would think there'd be guys that would be, you know, at each other's throats. So, I mean, dramatically, I think it's very effective. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, it was, we got a tiny little taste of Kate and Bianca. Brittany, you've turned into grass. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sorry. I know. I there we go. I did not turn it off. I'm sorry. I was like, what just happened to your face? <laughs> I tried to do a virtual background. It clearly didn't work. I didn't want it to. Then I was like, no, it's distracting. I'm sorry, everyone at home. That was super cool. Um, I yeah. I mean, it's what I would say that in terms of the distinguishing between act one and act two, act one was entirely in public spaces, right? It was all in the street. Mm -hmm. Act two begins domestic setting in a home. We are in a private space. And now transition, transition, we're no longer in a private space because like half the town has just walked into their door. Um, after Baptista has this wonderful like mm. apostrophe to nobody slash the audience like oh my life is so hard I'm so wealthy and everything is difficult um then in comes like the town crier or essentially like so Gremio's coming in Lucentio is in okay so many people in disguise okay so Gremio comes in Gremio is one of Bianca's suitors Lucentio, who's in love with Bianca, is dressed up as a scholar whose name is Cambio. Very well done, Shakespeare. Cambio meaning change, right? Um, then we've got Petruchio entering with Hortensio disguised as a musician. And then Tranio is entering disguised as Lucentio and Biandello is presumably, I don't know, disguised as Tranio. I, I don't know. Um, just to, almost everyone here is not who they seems, which I think is really important for this scene. So let's get right into it. Um, and let's start with uh, uh, Gremio, your line. Um, Good morrow, neighbor Baptista. We'll just see how far we get. Good morrow, neighbor Baptista. Good morrow, neighbor Gremio. God save you, gentlemen. And you, good sir. Pray, have you not a daughter called Katerina, fair and virtuous? I have a daughter, sir, called Katerina. You are too blunt. Go to it orderly. You wrong me, sir, Signor Gremio. Give me leave. I'm a gentleman of Verona, sir, that hearing of her beauty and her wit, her affability and bashful modesty, her wondrous qualities and mild behavior, and bold to show myself a forward guest within your house, to make mine eye the witness of that report which I so oft have heard. And for an entrance to my entertainment, I do present you with a man of mine, cunning in music and the mathematics, to instruct her fully in those sciences, whereof I know she is not ignorant, 
accept of him or else you do me wrong. His name is Lichio, born in Mantua. You're welcome, sir, and he for your good sake. But for my daughter Catherine, this I know, she is not for your turn, the more my grief. I see you do not mean to part with her, or else you like not my of pardon me. I see you do not mean to part with her, or else you like not of my company. Mistake me not, I speak but as I find. Whence are you, sir? What may I call your name? Petruchio is my name. Antonio's son, a man well known throughout all Italy all Italy. I know him well. You are welcome for his sake. Saving your tale, Petruchio, I pray, let us that our poor petitioners speak too. Bacare, you are marvelous forward. Oh, pardon me, Signor Grimio. I would fain be doing. I doubt it not, sir, but you will curse your wooing. Neighbor, this is a gift very grateful, I am sure of it, to express the like kindness myself that have been more kindly beholding to you than any, freely give unto you this young scholar that hath been long studying at Reims, as cunning in Greek, Latin, and other languages as the other in music and mathematics. His name is Cambio. Pray accept his service. A thousand thanks, Senor Gremio. Welcome, good Cambio. But gentle, sir, methinks you walk like a stranger. May I be so bold to know the cause of your coming? Uh, pardon me, sir, the boldness is mine own, that being a stranger in the city here, do make myself a suitor to your daughter, unto Bianca fair and virtuous. Nor is your firm resolve unknown to me in the preferment of the eldest daughter. This liberty is all that I request, that upon knowledge of my parentage, I may welcome amongst the rest that woo in free access and favor as the rest. And toward the education of your daughters, I here bestow a simple instrument and this small packet of Greek and Latin books. If you accept them, then their worth is great. Lucentio is your name? Of whence, I pray? Of Pisa, sir, son to Vincenzio. A mighty man of Pisa, by report. I know him well. You are very welcome, sir. Take you the lute, and you the set of books. You shall go see your pupils presently. Hola, within. Sarah, lead these gentlemen to my daughters, and tell them both these are their tutors. Bid them use them well. We will go walk a little in the orchard, and then to dinner. You are passing welcome. And so I pray you all to think yourselves. Signor Baptista, my business asketh haste, and every day I cannot come to woo. You knew my father well, and in him me, and in him me, left solely heir to all his lands and goods, which I have bettered rather than deceased. Then tell me, if I get your daughter's love, what dowry shall I have with her to wife? After my death, the one half of my lands, and in possession, 20,000 crowns. And for that dowry, I'll assure her of her, widow, of her widowhood, be it that she survive me in all my lands and leases whatsoever. Let specialties be therefore drawn between us, that covenants may be kept on either hand. Aye, when the special thing is well obtained, that is, her love, for that is all in all. Why, that is nothing. For I tell you, Father, I am as peremptory as she proud-minded, and where two raging fires meet together, they do consume the thing that feeds the fury. Though little fire grows great with little wind, yet extreme gusts will blow out fire and all. So I to her, and so she yields to me. 
for I am rough and woo not like a babe. Well, mayst thou woo, and happy be thy speed, but be thou armed for some unhappy words. Aye, to the proof, as mountains are for winds that shake not, though they blow perpetually. How now, my friend? Why dost thou look so pale? For fear, I promise you, if I look pale. What, will my daughter prove a good musician? I think she'll sooner prove a soldier. Iron may hold with her, but never lutes. Why, then, thou canst not break her to the lute? Why, no, for she hath broke me, broke the lute to me. I did but tell her she mistook her frets, and bowed her hand to teach her fingering, when, with a most impatient devilish spirit, frets, you call these? quoth she. I'll fume with them. And with that word, she struck me on the head, and through the instrument my pate made way, and there I stood, amazed for a while, as on a pillory looking through the lute, while she did call me rascal, fiddler, and twangling jack, with twenty such vile terms as she had studied to misuse me so. Now by the world, it is a lusty wench. I love her ten times more than I e'er did. Oh, how I long to have some chat with thee. Well, go with me, and be not so discomfited. Proceed and practice with my younger daughter. She's apt to learn and thankful for good turns. Signor Petruchio, will you go with us, or shall I send my daughter Kate to you? I pray you do. I'll attend her here. Okay, let's let's pause right there. Um, <laughs> poor Hortensio comes in with his head broken. Yes. And um, and I love Petruchio's reaction is like, oh, I can't wait to meet her. Like, <laughs> that's a bear I'd love to wrestle with. <laughs> I think that's break genuine. a lute over my head. Hmm? I think that's genuine. I think Petruchio actually. Oh, I think so as well. He's definitely turned on. He's like, you know, because he probably think of, <laughs> thinks of himself as a very, you know, it's 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 a I don't know, it, yeah, taming the beast. You know, he thinks of himself as being a very aggressive sort of, you know, forward-footed man. So it's like, ah, a woman after my own heart, but she'll meet her match with me, you know? So is it Animal House where the the guy smashes the guitar over somebody's head? Yeah. That's that's all I'm thinking of. Animal House. They got it all from Shakespeare. Uh, Yeah, go ahead. There there are these lines in Patricio's speech, and they are wonderful foreshadowing and also a way to understand what goes on between Kate and Petruchio later. He says, I am as peremptory as she proud minded mm-hmm. and where two raging fires meet together, they do consume the thing that feeds their fury. So he's co- he's copping right there to the, the fact that he's as much a shrew as she is. Yeah. And the word shrew, interestingly enough, um, in the middle ages and medieval times, uh, the connotation was solely a man. Mm. Um, that was the, the it was the, a man that was very disagreeable. And during the Elizabethan times and into the Renaissance, the meaning started to change and to do with women. But it does to me um, just make me think like, who's the shrew, right? Who is the oh. shrew in this play? I mean, obviously, we're. I, I think every, the received notion is that it's Kate, but I, I do wonder if that's like Lady and the Tramp, right? Yeah. <laughs> tramp was for men, and then it transitioned to being for women. 
Oh, Disney. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, we have, it is important to note that we have now within this scene, seen slash seen the results of Kate's violence. I think that's important, right? She's struck her sister and this person who is a total stranger to her, she is, I guess, two minutes into her first music lesson and smashes a lute over this guy's head. So I do think that that is important to note. This is this is who we're dealing with. That this is this is she's no shrinking violet, obviously. Um, I think also peremptory the gloss that I have when Petruchio says. I am as peremptory as she proud-minded. The gloss that I have is decisive, which is very interesting to me um, that that could mean, and, and Petruchio is very decisive as we'll see in the next, in the continuation of this scene. Like he says, he makes decisions and then he does not go back on them. Um, sometimes to his own suffering, right? Not just to hers. Yeah, Koi. Oh yeah, I just looked it up because it's one. that's one of those words is like, I've read it and don't know the meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Google told me was that it's insisting on immediate attention or obedience. So it's mm. not being open to appeal or challenge. So it is It is kind of the, act, the opposite to being hard-headed in that way, mm. right? To be peremptory is to demand obedience and to be hard-headed is to resist being obedient interesting yeah so oh i like that so that there's the there's these two opposites that are going to consume each other by the end um yeah also just to point out and this is thank you robin courtesy of the the ISC readers editions that when Petruchio was talking about if he does marry Kate, this is what he will provide her with and guarantee her the bit about I'll assure of, I'll assure her of her widowhood, her widow's share, all his lands and leases whatsoever. That is an incredibly generous thing to promise to a potential spouse during this time um giving all your writing all your property over to your spouse was highly unlikely uh highly unusual sorry not unlikely um and that is important that's that that's a very very generous dowry um i do also just i just did want to comment on one of my favorite lines when petruchio comes in and then says um uh pray you have you not a daughter called katarina fair and virtuous and baptista's response is i have a daughter called Catherine. <laughs> like it's such a great it's such a great like the sin of omission there <laughs> like, <laughs> well i do have a daughter i don't know if she's those other things but i definitely have a daughter named Catherine. Or is it Kate? Or is it Katharina? Or Katarina? Who knows? There's she's referred to as so many different um, things. Oh, and this other fro word, not forward, but fro word that has appeared 
in uh, a couple times. Like Tranio had that great line in Act One where he's like, "Whoa, Lucentio, check out that one. She's marvelous," or like something like "marvelous forward," right? So sort of, um, it kind of does mean forward in a way like really eager really like front-footed so there's this really there's a, clearly a certain type of men who's who is very into this uh this forwardness um and which is a word that appears a lot in the plays and in fact that's how the duke of milan describes his daughter sylvia in two gems um grayson yeah yeah, so trying to figure out Petruchio reminds me of a uh, book of literary criticism I read re uh, recently by Emma Smith. This is Shakespeare. And, uh, she speaks about the ambiguity in Shakespeare's plays. Uh, much is left unsaid. Um, obviously, very few stage directions. There's a gappiness. So she looks at what's not there as opposed to what is there. And the... Uh, Upside is that we have a lot of room for interpretation. Yes. And I, I have this just, if I, if I may just read, she talks oh, about please. Petruchio, depending on how you look at it, Petruchio is a quirky and unorthodox guy who knows his own mind and wants a woman who knows hers or a psychopathetic bounty hunter <laughs> with sadistic, misogynistic tendencies. <laughs> could be either of those <laughs> and because it's Shakespeare I would argue I would argue it's probably a little bit of both right that there is like that both of those seemingly contradiction contradictory character types can exist within the same person I, I did very much want to I have never seen Petruchio played this way except sort of by John Cleese in that in that BBC thing but the idea of two raging fires I'm very interested I think because I haven't seen this in a Petruchio that is sort of completely unfazed by and and the more sort of usually the way this is staged is that they're both super crazy and super physical and I think I don't know why but I I have this really in like this strange idea in my head that Petruchio is just like very still and very calm and he only ever uses his words and that Kate is like trying to provoke a response from him the whole time and he just he just he's just the zen of zen um I get that same sense I've totally never seen it. it done that way but I think it could be really interesting just I'm thinking about staging because normally the, this next section that we're getting into is basically an acrobatic stage combat sequence, right? But it doesn't have to be. There is one moment where she hits him. That is the only sort of required uh, violence in the whole thing. So I just want us to keep that, that idea of stillness and calmness in mind as we go into this next section because I think that it's a bit implied in this next speech that Petruchio gives us right where where he's saying okay well if she screams I'll tell her she sounds great you know <laughs> like if she tells me to get lost I'll smile 
you know, and he's sort of, it's like, he's going through how he will not react or react in a way that is incongruous with the behavior that he is receiving. I agree because I feel like when she does slap him, it's a moment where he's like, I'm about to lose my nope. Nope. Like that's really him having to temper himself and be like, if you do that again, you know, um, I'll cuff you. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> she's just like you said. Yeah, she just finally resorts to violence because she's not able to get him to yeah. get as angry as she is. Because you know, when you're in that volatile space, sometimes you just want somebody else to feel the exact same way you do, and that's why people lash out when they're angry. You know. Yes. Yeah. All right. I think there is a moment in that scene where it's sort of implied, at least, that he has, in some way hurt her because there's a thing about limping uh, we'll, we'll notice it when we get to it but there's this you know yeah why did the world report that kate doth limp her. right right yeah um i mean that usually is played as him tripping her it's not yeah. said but um i the only reason i i bring attention to this idea is i've just i've never seen it done and I'm really curious as to what happens if like Petruchio is a pacifist <laughs> in this scene and kind yeah. of refuses to engage. And also just what that does to Kate, because she's used to people reacting to her outbursts, right? Even if it's a feigned reaction, um, which is sort of implied with Bianca, she's used to getting people to react. So getting to a point and having babysat a lot of children there's definitely some when they're in a mood they they really want to get you provoked in some way and it can be the hardest thing in the world not to be mm-hmm. like oh you little brat stop <laughs> you know? I, um, I i like the idea that that uh, instead of tripping her that she you know lunges at him and he steps out of the way and she trips yeah. herself absolutely absolutely because i i like the idea of him not laying a hand on her um yeah i think it makes the play much more interesting and complicated yeah carol yeah social distancing made us find a an interesting solution to that which is that kate throws her shoe at him oh nice and then she limps because he won't give her a shoe back right away (laughs) (laughs) that's great oh i love it i love it you know, Brecht wanted to be buried with a stiletto in his heart. Of course Creepy he did. dude, man. Creepy dude. Um, let's get into this all-famous scene. Um, and I just, I, I want us to, to take advantage of the fact that we that we aren't staging this, that we're just listening to really hear the back and forth of the, the rhetoric, because I feel like normally when this is staged, it is all about the physicality. And there is something very interesting going on. If you'll remember from act one, Grumio is the one who says, Oh boy, he'll out talk her. You know, he's talking about Petruchio's ability with language so i just want us to keep that in mind as we as we go into this this next section um yeah okay have fun you two (laughs) i'll attend her here and woo her with some spirit when she comes 
Say that she rail was, and I'll tell her plain, she sings as sweetly as a nightingale. Say that she frown, I'll say she looks as clear as morning roses, newly washed with dew. Say she be mute, and will not speak a word, then I'll commend her volubility, and say she uttereth piercing eloquence. If she do bid me pack, I'll give her thanks, as though she bid me stay by her a week. If she deny to wed, I'll crave the day when I shall ask the bands, and when be married. But here she comes, and now, Petruchio, speak. Good morrow, Kate, for that's your name, I hear. Well, have you heard, but something hard of hearing. They call me Catherine, that do talk of me. <laughs> you lie in faith, for you are called plain Kate, and Bonnie Kate, and sometimes Kate the Cursed, but Kate, the prettiest Kate in Christendom, Kate of Kate Hall, my super dainty Kate. For dainties are all Kates, and therefore Kate, take this of me, Kate, of my consolation, hearing thy mildness praised in every town, thy virtues spoke of, and thy beauty sounded, yet not so deeply as to thee belongs, myself am moved to woo thee for my wife. Moved in good time, let him that moved you hither remove you hence. I knew you at the first, you were immovable. Why, what's immovable? A joint stool. Thou hast hit it, come sit on me. Asses are made to bear, and so are you. Women are made to bear, and so are you. No such jade as you, if me be you mean. Alas, good Kate, I will not burden thee, for knowing thee to be but young and light. Too light for such a swain as you to catch, and yet as heavy as my weight should be. Should be, should buzz. Well, tame, like a buzzard. Oh, slow-winged turtle, shall a buzzard take thee? Aye, for a turtle, as he takes a buzzard. <laughs> come, come, you wasp, in faith, you are too angry. If I be waspish, best beware my sting. My remedy is then to pluck it out. Aye, if the fool could find where it lies. Who knows not where a wasp does where his sting in his tail? In his tongue. Whose tongue? Yours, if you talk of tails. And so farewell. What? With my tongue in your tail? Nay, come in. Come again, good Kate. I am a gentleman. That I'll try. <laughs> I swear I'll cuff you if you strike again. So may you lose your arms. If you strike me, you are no gentleman. And if no gentleman, why then no arms? A herald, Kate. Oh, put me in my books. What is that? Your crest? A coxcomb? A combless cock, so Kate will be my hen. No cock of mine. You crow too like a craven. Nay, come, Kate, come. You must not look so sour. It is my fashion when I see a crab. Why, here's no crab, and therefore look not sour. There is, there is. Show it to me. At I glass I would. What, you mean my face? Well aimed, such a young one. Now by St. George, I am too young for you. Yet you are withered. Tis with cares. I care not. Nay, hear you, Kate. In sooth, you scape not so. I chafe you if I tarry. Let me go. No, not a whit. I find you passing gentle. Twas told me you were rough and coy and sullen, and now I find report a very liar. For thou art pleasant, gamesome, passing courteous, but slow in speech, yet sweet as springtime flowers. Thou canst not frown, thou canst not look, look askance, nor bite the lip as angry wenches will. 
nor hast thou pleasure to be cross and talk, but thou with mildness entertainst thy wooers with gentle conference, soft and affable. Why does the world report that Kate doth limp? Oh, slanderous world! Kate, like the hazel twig, is straight and slender, and as brown in hue as hazelnuts, and sweeter than the kernels. Oh, let me see thee walk, thou dost not halt. Go, fool, and whom thou keep'st command. Did ever Diane so become a grove as Kate this chamber with her princely gait? Oh, be thou Diane, and let her be Kate, and then let Kate be chaste and Diane sportful. Where did you study all this goodly speech? It is extempore from my mother's wit. A witty mother, witless helps her son. Am I not wise? Yes, keep you warm. Mary, so I mean, sweet Katerina, in thy bed. And therefore setting all this chat aside, thus in plain terms, your father hath consented that you shall be my wife. Your dowry greed on, and will you, nil you, I will marry you. Now, Kate, I am a husband for your turn, for by this light whereby I see thy beauty, thy beauty that doth make me li like thee well, thou must be married to no man but me, for I am he, for I am he and born to tame you, Kate, and bring you from a wild Kate to a Kate conformable as other household Kates. Here comes your father, never make denial. I must and will have Catherine to my wife. Okay, let's pause there. Great, great. Um, I love that Kate sounds like cat. Um, and then at the end there, it's like, I'm going to turn you from a mountain lion to a domesticated <laughs> wild animal. What are what are your what are your thoughts, you two? What 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 was the what was the experience of of reading these these this this first meeting of our two fires? <laughs> I, I really like the idea. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think either he's talking himself into it or her reactions and the fact that she's, you know, able to keep up the repartee. I just think, yeah, his language gets a little bit more um, sensual, carnal. I don't yeah. know. Lusty. Yeah, yeah, lusty. Very much. Uh, what was that you were saying, Coy? Oh, yeah, I think uh, I really like the idea of taking the movement, like embracing the idea that there's no movement. Um, whenever, whenever I've seen this scene done, it was only in school. And it was just like, you know, in like, how do you put it on its feet? And let's, and it's just a lot of like, this, this relationship always felt to me like, <laughs> how can you add physical comedy to save a stupid script? Like, cause a lot of this stuff is just like, yeah, then they're going to fight and they're just like having an argument, but you don't need to understand the argument. You just have to have this, physical lotso. Um, but when you can remove that and have it be more of a, like a period drama where the two of them are just kind of sitting or standing, you know, face to face, kind of actually just battling wits, it makes the slap way more powerful. Yeah. Of her like, okay, then I'll, let me try something. And just bam, out of, it comes out of nowhere if there's no physicality. And it does essentialize, like it really, I think there's something interesting about the idea of the, just the two of them sparring with words just for a couple pages. Yeah. Um, because then it, I always felt like, yeah, the physicality kind of just dilutes the idea that they're actually, Petruchio's actually trying to win a battle through words. And when yeah. there's too much movement, you kind of lose that because you don't trust the words to carry the audience's interest. 
Yeah. And what's interesting is some of, I mean, to be fair to all the productions that have used, you know, uh, extensive uh, acrobatics, etc. <laughs> it can be um, amazing. I mean, the, it can be thoroughly entertaining. Like I'm thinking, I, I keep bringing this up, but the, the ACT production from the seventies is like, they're like, they're doing literally doing acrobatics. And at one point he stomps on her foot and goes, and then you're like, why does the world report that Kate doth limp? And you're just like, wait a second. <laughs> We've lost the thread here for a moment. And it's like beautifully yeah. choreographed, beautifully executed, but I have no idea what they're saying because it's, it's not right. important, right? It's not yeah. important at all to the scene. Um, so what I think is really interesting is all of these, they go into all this animal language, right? And the, the, that's what really st stuck out to me that this play is called The Taming of the Shrew, right? Which is about taming an animal. And here, the first time they meet, all they're talking about is animals and, and, and gentle roosters, right? I'm, I, I'll, be a very, I'll be a very gentle rooster, a combless cock if Kate will be my hen. Like all of these, and the, and the wildcat and the turtle dove and the, like crab apples. I mean, they're just, they're, they're using the natural world to bring in all of this, all of this language and sort of um, um, mishmash it uh, uh, around. Carol, did you, did you have something to, to, to add? Um, no, no, not at this point. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, yeah, go ahead. Is it me, or does it seem like some of this is a bit of a stretch? Like, like they're like it's really not very witty. It's pretty. I think a lot of it is pretty far fetched. You know that like a lot of the jokes don't actually really make any sense or follow from what the other person said, and they're just kind of like out there at the edge of their ability to do this with each other, sort of grasping mm -hmm. at straws for quite a bit of it. Like I think it's, to me, it reminds rem, wow. It reminds me of uh, Cockney rhyming slang. Mm. Like it's so much about quick wit and not so much following through, but free association of the, the word. So for example, this yeah. whole bit about what is your crest? A coxcomb. Um, so, so, you, so may you lose your arms, a coat of arms, right? But the double meaning yeah. being his arms. If you strike me, you're no gentleman. And if no gentleman, you wouldn't have any coat of arms. <gasps> Are you a herald? Oh, put me, put me in your good graces, your, your books, right? And she asked, well, what's your heraldic symbol? <laughs> is it a coxcomb? which is what a gesture would wear. And he takes coxcomb and switches it and says combless cock, a gentle rooster, right? A non-aggressive rooster, if you will be my hen and you won't. And then she says, no cock of mine, you crow to like a craven, right? Yeah. So there's, to me, it's, it's much more, it's not so much about like making zingers as it is, I'm showing you how intelligent I am. And for me, <laughs> always the biggest character in these battles of of wits and words as it was the same in two gentlemen of verona is a young writer showing off his skill mm. of playing with words right that this is 
this is what Shakespeare, young Shakespeare in particular, really loved to do. He does it with all the clowns in Two Gentlemen of Verona, um, because that's the one that we're releasing right now. Um, and sometimes it will be parodied by the servant characters, right? Like the the battle of wits between the two gents will then the next scene be parodied by the battle of wits between the two servants. So he really likes this as, and I, and I think it is important to remember that this is a very young playwright writing this um, who really likes puns. Yeah. Koi. Um, yeah. I really, I think the, the movement of this, I agree uh, what you were saying and just kind of in response to what, what you were just saying, Will, um, it feels like, there's a lot of like they're kind of circling each other or mm-hmm. but that's that's not precise enough i i was actually going to the combat side of things and like to physical if you were to physicalize this relationship um there is there's a move in swordplay called a glissade which is where you can kind of like go from a defense to an attack while maintaining contact of the both blades um you can so uh it happens, Jackie Chan often will have like a little moment in, in a lot of his, when he was younger, fight scenes, where you have the two sides, the two fighters engaged. They're either like tied together or there's like a soft thing together or they're fighting over the same weapon. And there's this movement where they're going back and forth trying to, so it's like, I'm trying to grab it and then you're trying to grab it and we're kind of fighting over the same object. But then it turns into this fight using both sides using the same object and having to change how they hold it, which then forces the other person to change. They're real, the most complicated types of fights to do. And that's why Jackie Chan does them because he's so good at that, but they can't be very long because they're so complex. And if they're not done well by the performers, then it doesn't look like anything from the outside mm-hmm. because the, the actual movements aren't clear where someone's attacking and someone's defending because they're both holding the same thing at the same time. And I think this, this back and forth they're both trying to shift and get around the other person to do a clever witticism. But as soon as they do that, as soon as I, one of them gets around to make a little joke, the other one matches them and then doesn't let them, okay, what's a joint stool? Okay, well then sit on me. Okay, well then we're talking about asses because we were talking about joints. Okay, well now we're talking about asses, we're talking about donkeys. Now we're talking about that, now we're talking. So like every time it's this move forward, and it has, but if it's not clear that each time is an, is, would be a win against someone who's not as witty yeah. and that the witty, the wittiness has to k- keeps going. Yeah. Um, like this scene is either long and confusing or it's really fast and a massive sprint for the actors because there's so much yeah. precision and it can't yeah. stop. It has to maintain this level and pres- of these tight corners. Um, but I think if it's done well, the game is that they're never stopping and they're, they're constantly trying and they can't get a one up on each other. And then you have that. I think that's where I see it. I really love that so much that it's like, to me, this is also a status game. It's like, who's going to, who's going to break first. And I think that Kate loses status by hitting him because she's not using She's not using the agreed upon weapon, right? Which she is gives, your mind. She breaks the rules. Yeah, she, she breaks, breaks the, the rules. rules. And they both, I, I love the idea that they both know she broke the rules. Mm-hmm. You know, and that Petruchio, instead of, instead of being like, I'm going to hit you. Um, that if, if, if this, 
I swear I'll cuff you if you strike again is, well, is this what we're doing? Is this the language we're speaking? I don't think you want that, do to, you? And she immediately to be fair, like, Petruchio does go. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Petruchio with his, just Petruchio's last line that instigates the hit with my tongue in your tail. Like that's, it's no longer a double entendre at that point, right? Like he's also- use that freaking joke. <laughs> I, I just mean like, like what's, it's interesting when you're, when you're making the kind of witticism and there's a double entendre, but as soon as there also is a certain breaking of the rules when you're like, yeah, and then I'm just going to use my dick. And it's yeah. like, well, we're not playing the game. I mean, this is just. There's like, no wit now. <laughs> yeah. And so she definitely strikes it. But but he also kind of, I think the way I read it as Kat, uh, is that he steps on the line with that tongue in your tail line. And you know what you just made me realize? I never pay attention to her line before she hits him. That I'll try. Yeah. She's saying. I'm going to test if you're a gentleman. So maybe instead of it being a reaction to him saying, what, with my tongue in your tail? If she's like, you want to play that way? Let me see if you're a gentleman. Smack. Mm -hmm. Whoa. So that they're both, so that maybe, maybe that little bit is their negotiation of like, nope, this is not, this isn't where we're going we're not going this direction or that direction. But I think if that's the moment that we have our first kind of destabilization and then it's like, then they, they have to, they have to get back to their fighting stance again. Right. They have mm-hmm. to, they have to whoo, calm down. Okay. Let's go back and retreat. The other moment that I feel like Kate kind of just breaks the game is when she says, where did you study all this goodly stuff. I love that. That line always <laughs> sticks out to me um, because he's just gone on this whole like, Diane, Kate, sportful, chaste, blah, blah, blah. And she's just like, who the fuck are you? Like, who are you? Why are you in my house? Why are we talking? How did you get in? Like, what? <laughs> you know, I, I, I do feel like there's this moment for her of like, who the fuck is this guy? And like, why is he not going away? And why does he keep saying nice things about me? Nobody says nice things about me. This is annoying me. You know, like I, I, I do like the idea that she is actually kind of in like, not interested as in like romantically interested at Petruchio at this moment, which is often how it's played is that they like see each other and it's like a love at first sight, which I think is a little bit of a, I think it's a bit of a cheat, um, but that but that she's interested in this person who's giving back as good as she can give, and she doesn't really know who he is either. There's no formal introduction. He's just there and calls her Kate. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> I think you mean Catherine, you know? Like, there's just such an interesting dynamic there and and also the play of Catherine and Kate and you and thou right he starts out very Petruchio starts out very respectfully using you that's your name I hear and then by the end of the second speech thy virtue spoken thy beauty sounded he's all of a sudden super intimate with her after like one exchange right so that's really interesting to me how 
how quickly the intimacy is established. Yeah, Will. So I love everything that you guys have been saying. And it just, it made me realize that Kate probably has no, like her conception of who Petruchio is, is, is probably completely different until the very end of the scene. I don't think she has any idea that he wants to marry her or that, she, that he's even there for her. She probably thinks he's like some business associate of her father's or something who's, who is just like in the living room waiting for somebody else or something, right? And because nobody has ever wanted to marry her before or shown any interest in her at all. And so this guy comes into her house and they have this whole conversation and she is probably under the impression that he's somebody completely different than who he is until the very end when he says, oh, by the way, we're getting married. One of well, the first things, actually the last line of his first speech is, uh, I moved to Woody for my wife. But she just, uh, she dismisses yeah. it offhand. Yeah, Fair. that's Fair right. I love the, the, the antithesis that you hit there, Coy, with the moved. Let him that moved you hither remove you hence. I love that. Um, and basically she calls him a piece of furniture, which is great. Like, I love that like Kate's first thing she does is to objectify him, right? She turns him into an object, which I think is just fantastic. And actually like, it's there, it's in the text. And I, it's just always like one of my big pet peeves when I will sometimes see Shakespeare is like, so often I find that productions perform received notions about the play rather than actually yeah. digging into the text and being like, oh, that's actually there. All of this complicated, we don't need to like, you know, it's, it's all there. Like she objectifies him at the beginning. That's there. That is fascinating. Let's use that. You know, that's, that's, that's really my, that's my, that's my shtick. I do wonder what happens um, I, I, I also wanted to throw in here because plants are always so important in Shakespeare, right? That um, hazel, right? Kate as the hazel twig is straight and slender and brown in hue as hazelnuts and sweeter than the kernels. Um, thank you, Robin, for this. Hazel was a symbol of authority, wisdom, and poetic inspiration. Hazelnuts was a symbol of marriage, abundance, and family happiness. So he's already couching her in the language of a peaceful family household, which is interesting to me because in the very end of the play, in the final scene, uh, when they're saying, oh, Petruchio, you won. Like, what, is this, what does this mean? You won. And Petruchio says, this means a quiet life. And that's what he wanted. And to me, that's, we get that from the from the beginning in this first scene where they encounter he's picturing a future of family happiness and abundance and peace and obviously that's not what she's picturing but it is interesting to note that the language and the symbolism is already there for petruchio um and I, I do think that they probably are very attracted to each other. Otherwise, this is like really, really, really just too depressing for me to even contemplate wanting to stage. But I, I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't think it's the like Romeo and Juliet thing. I think this is a different kind of knowledge, right, of somebody else. Yeah, Carol. I, I will say that when we started working on this scene, 
the actors playing these roles um and they're flipping each night kate and petruchio oh cool um they they felt like for each petruchio thought he knew what he he figured he was going to be on top and his game was the best game and his words were the best words but she was quite the match and vice versa and that was attractive yeah. to them both i like that that they that they actually what they what they take pride in their selves right as being very good with language they actually find attractive in their partner which is just really cool um do we have any any sort of other thoughts before we bring in the rest of the gang and i i, I definitely want to i want to get into this next section too because to me this is the wooing negotiation and it's really important that we see this because the next wooing negotiation completely cuts out bianca entirely she is not in this scene where they are discussing her future and her marriage she has absolutely no say she literally doesn't have a voice so to me it's it's very important if you actually look at this scene where kate gets to be herself and she 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 does call him a half lunatic but uh bianca is absent from the dowry negotiations that are going on about her and her father did not once ask her who she is interested in yes carol i just want to say because we talked about the the nature of the father in this play and how he's he's not like mean old capulet but i yeah. i thought it was interesting that he does say well yeah you can marry her if you get her to love you yes so it wasn't all about money it wasn't all you know a, a for mercenary kate. exchange yeah for hey. kate he doesn't but say that about Bianca. He doesn't say that about Bianca. And I wonder if the assumption is because she'll just be so sweet and obliging, you know, but it is, it is interesting to me that Bianca, all of the submissive behavior has actually meant that she loses her voice when it comes to her own marriage, which is just something interesting to note. Um, let's let's get the rest of the gang back in here and we'll see this really interesting performance that Petruchio and <laughs> Kate are gonna put on for them. Now, Signor Petruchio, how speed you with my daughter? How but well, sir, how but well? It were impossible I should speed amiss. Why, how now, daughter Catherine, in your dumps? Call you me daughter. Now I promise you, you have showed a tender fatherly regard to wish me wed to one half lunatic, a madcap ruffian and a swearing jack that thinks with oaths to face the matter out. Father, tis thus. Yourself and all the world that talked of her have talked amiss of her. If she be cursed, it is for policy. For she's not froward, but modest as the dove. She's not hot, but temperate as the morn. For patience, she will prove a second gristle and Roman Lucretia uh, how do you say? Lucrece. Lucrece, for her chastity. And to conclude, we have agreed so well together that upon Sunday is the wedding day. I'll see thee hanged on Sunday first. Hark, Petruchio. She says she'll see thee hanged first. Is this your speeding? Nay, then good night our part. Be patient, gentlemen. I choose her for myself. If she and I be pleased, what's that to you? Tis bargained twixt and... Twixt us twain, being alone, that she shall still be cursed in company. I tell you, tis incredible to believe how much she loves me. 
Oh, the kindest Kate, she hung about my neck, and kiss on kiss she vied so fast, protesting oath on oath, that in a twink she won me to her love. Oh, you are novices, tis a world to see how tame, when men and women are alone, a meacock wretch can make the curtest shrew. Give me thy hand, Kate, I will unto Venice to buy apparel against the wedding day. Provide the feast, father, and bid the guests, I will be sure my Catherine shall be fine. I know not what to say. Give me your hands. God send you joy, Patricio. Tis a match. Amen, say we. We will be witnesses. Father and wife and gentlemen, adieu. I will to Venice. Sunday comes apace. We will have rings and things and fine array. And kiss me, Kate. We will be married a Sunday. Okay, I just want to just very quickly um, point out this, this, I think, very important line. Uh, a meacock wretch. Meacock here means cowardly. So Petruchio is calling. Uh, it's amazing when when women and men are alone, how someone as cowardly as I can tame the curse is true. To me, that also is an indication that he has not used violence. He's not being macho, abusive, uh, you know, like sadistic. He's refrained from reacting to violence right and that is could be seen as cowardly but that's the way he's describing himself and again thank you robin nowhere in uh nowhere in her talking about you want you're gonna marry me to this lunatic nowhere does she say and he hit me right nowhere does she have any hint that he did anything other than talk to her right so just important to to keep this all in mind when we sort of point out the received uh, interpretations of 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 these uh, characters and this scene in particular um because she is not at all afraid <laughs> to call people out and to say what's bothering her so i feel like if she was being tripped and hit she would say something about it and it would be in the text that's that's my feeling yeah go ahead will all right what do you make of her of her silence you know he he makes this pretty uh outrageous assertion that they have agreed that she will be you know maintain her her uh whatever bitchy persona in public but in reality she was you know, in private, she was all sweet on him and everything. And he says this, and she is silent for the rest of the scene. She never contradicts him. She goes, she never, she doesn't say anything when he says, okay, we're getting married on Sunday. She doesn't say anything when the father goes, okay, fair enough, we're getting married. Like, is she just dumbstruck or is she perhaps like kind of into it? I don't know. I think this is a really great question, Will. And it's something that I wonder, she is clearly Shakespeare never shies away from giving her moments to ridicule everyone on stage and she does remain silent I like the idea that she's sort of like thunderstruck by this like to me it goes back to the way in which he's talking about her right the way that people talk about her up until this point is oh she's cursed she's horrible she's a soldier she's made out of iron and here he's like 
she's the kindest Kate. She kissed me. It changed my life. Like, I don't know what I mean. Like, like there's some, she's, she just must be like, the fuck is this guy? You know, that's what I would be. That's what I would be thinking. It's like, who is this guy? And I just wonder if she is like, so unaccustomed to the, to being spoken of in this way that she, um, that she does it. And it, it, it says, and kiss me, Kate, we will be married a Sunday. I don't necessarily think that they kiss there. I, I think I think it's almost like, are you going to kiss me, Kate? And she's like, what just <laughs> you know, <And laughs> because we have that repeated moment at the end of the play where he says, please kiss me, Kate. And then I think that's what at least if I was if I was staging this. I would. I would make that choice, I think, as a way just to give the character a little bit more say in everything. Um, but yeah, yeah, Carol, please. Yeah, again, because we've got the social distancing blocking, um, Petruchio throws her a kiss and she's like, <laughs> <laughs> kind of grabs it and drops it like, I don't, what is this? yeah cooties um yeah i also just love how casually petruchio is just like oh yeah please do a huge feast and invite everyone i have absolutely no patience for wedding preparations so um i'm gonna go get some cool jewels you see to all of the arrangements i'll be back thanks peace you know like he's just he's like it's so he's just so funny petruchio is just such a weirdo which is i think why we're meant to sort of be a little bit captivated by 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 him he's just so upfront. like the, even gremio says you're really forward with her thought like he's just very direct and to the point you know to go back to ali what you were talking about about direct versus indirect communication <laughs> he's very direct but not always truthful right like this whole bit did not happen with the the she she protested and she won me to her love um i think one of the things that, that makes him so likable you know in spite of his kind of outrageous behavior is that he's you know he's one of the, these characters it's almost like an archetype of like the guy who will just do and say anything with no fear like he has no mm-hmm filter and no like social uh yeah like anxiety or anything like he just says what he wants to say no matter what and doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't like let whatever the social situation prevent him from from doing that and that's a very very attractive quality in a character right we yeah i, th- I don't know if has anybody seen the show um californication there's a the <laughs> I've character. seen it with you, Will. Okay, right. so you would watch that show. Hank Moody in this show is like this guy who's just he can be a flaming asshole, but like <laughs> we love him because he just says whatever he wants whenever he wants, right? And that quality's like I think Petru that's a lot of what makes Petruchio so like adorable in a <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I would describe Petruchio as adorable, adorable. but that's likable. That's- that's that's great. I love that. Wonderful. I I would love to see now this the other way that a wedding can be negotiated and a match can be negotiated. So let's dig into 
Gremio, Baptista, and Tranio pretending to be Lucio, which also I think there's a lot of room for comedy here with the with the well, my ship is bigger than yours. Um uh ridiculousness that we're about to witness. So <laughs> have fun, you three. All right. Was ever match clapped up so suddenly? Faith, gentlemen, now I play a merchant's part and venture madly on a desperate mart. Twas a comedy lay fretting by you, twill bring you gain or perish on the seas. The gain I seek is quiet in the match. No doubt, but he hath got a quiet catch. But now, Baptista, to your younger daughter, now is the day we long have looked for. I am your neighbor, and I was suitor first. And I am one that love Bianca more than words can witness, or your thoughts can guess. Youngling, thou canst not love so dear as I. Greybeard, thy love doth freeze. But thine doth fry. Skipper, stand back, tis age that nourisheth. But youth in ladies' eyes that flourish. Content you, gentlemen, I will compound the strife. Tis deeds must win the prize, and he of both that can assure my daughter greatest dower shall have my Bianca's love. Say, Signor Gremio, what can you assure her? <clears throat> First, as you know, my house within the city is richly furnished with plate and gold, basins and ewers to lave her dainty hands, my hangings all of Tyrian tapestry, in ivory coffers I have stuffed my crowns, in cypress chests, my arras counterpoints, costly apparel, tents and canopies, fine linen, turkey cushions bossed with pearl, valence of Venice gold and needlework, pewter and brass, and all things that belong to house or housekeeping. Then at my farm I have a hundred milch kind to the pale, six score fat oxen standing in my stalls, and all things answerable to this portion. Myself am struck in years, I am confess, I must confess, and if I die tomorrow, this is hers. If, whilst I live, she will be only mine. That only came well in. Sir, list to me. I am my father's heir and only son. If I may have your daughter to my wife, I'll leave her houses three or four as good within rich pieces walls as anyone old Signor Grimio has, Grimio has in Padua. Besides, two thousand ducats by the year of fruitful land, all of which shall be her jointure. What, have I pinched you, Signor Gremio? Two thousand ducats by the year of land. My land amounts not to so much in all. That she shall have besides an argosy that now is lying in Marseille Road. What, have I choked you with an argosy? Gramio, tis known my father hath no less than three great argosies, besides two galaxies and twelve tight galleys. These I will assure her, and twice as much, whatever thou offerest next. Nay, I have offered all, I have no more, and she can have no more than all I have. If you like me, she shall have me and mine. Why then, the maid is mine from all the world by your firm promise. Gremio is out to lied. I must confess your offer is the best. And let your father make her the assurance. She is your own, else you must pardon me if you should die before him. Where's her dower? 
That's but a cavil. He is old. I young. And may not young men die as well as old? Well, gentlemen, I am thus resolved. On Sunday next, you know, my daughter Catherine is to be married. Now, on the Sunday following, shall Bianca be bride to you, if you make this assurance. If not, to Signor Gremio. And so I take my leave and thank you both. Adieu, good neighbor. Now I fear thee not. Sirrah, young gamester, your father were a fool to give thee all, and in his waning age set foot under thy table. Tata toy, an old Italian fox is not so kind, my boy. A vengeance on your crafty, withered hide, yet, yet I have faced it with a card of tin. Tis in my head to do my master's good. I see no reason, but supposed Lucentio must get a father, all supposed Vincentio, and that's a wonder. Fathers commonly do get their children, but in this case of wooing, a child shall get a sire if I fail not of my cunning. So this is a very different wooing scene, isn't it? Than the one that we just saw with Petruchio and Kate. Both kind of odd. Um, but it does seem like a, an auction, doesn't it? Who has the highest outbid is something that... that um, that Tranio says, outvied, outbid. Um, I also just really enjoy that Gremio has like this. I just imagine Gremio. Will I'm having flashbacks to when you were Sir Andrew with your little notebook. That like Gremio is like bringing out this like scroll that catalogs all of his furniture and he's like yes and my hangings and oh yes ivory coffers and like it's just so like capitalism man you know like it's just so like materialistic and i love that tranio as lucentio is like i have three or four of those you know like because Tranio is not a wealthy man. It doesn't, you know, obviously Tranio has worked for wealthy people, but I love the idea that Tranio's like, I don't know what half of those things are. So I will just say that I have three houses that are just like that. Yeah. Well, go ahead. <laughs> so I was just going to say this scene brought to mind, you know, remember last time we were, we, maybe it was the last time that we were talking about this whole alpha beta male nonsense. Oh, yeah. And so I, I, got interested in this after we were talking about it and i i was sort of like poking around looking at this sort of stuff and like where this idea came from and the history of that and apparently there's a phrase that is used among proponents of this idea it's just this hideous phrase which is alpha fucks beta bucks which means as far as i can tell which means basically is the idea that if you're a, a, an alpha man uh you basically get the girl without trying. Whereas if you're a beta, you have to basically pay for her in some way. You have to, you know, pony up some kind of financial investment. And that, I was like, that's exactly what's happening here because you have this scene where Petruchio comes in and basically just talks his way into this marriage. And the father doesn't really ask about his like finances or anything. Yeah, and then you have these two like loser guys 
who are, you know, like just, it's just this competition of like, how much money can we put out for yeah, them? Yeah, yeah. And it just makes him appear so much weaker and more like pathetic. And it makes him appear so much more like powerful and smart because he can just kind of come in and get the girl with his wits, you know? Well, which is really interesting because Lucentio has, has, no, 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 no. Petruchio has lost his father, right? Antonio is, is deceased. Right. right. Um, so, but both of them have <laughs> two of Shakespeare's <laughs> favorite names to use over and over again, Vincentio and Antonio. Um, and that, that Baptista has heard of slash knew both of them, right? Has, has, has heard of them both and knew Petruchio's father. Um, right. So they're both coming from wealthy families, but yeah, you're 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 absolutely right that that Petruchio has very little. There's the section where he says, "Yeah, I'll give her all of it." Um, it's all hers. Is very short in comparison to this. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Carol, did you did you have? Um... Uh, I, I that this wooing is is the more conventional. And I liked what yeah. you said before about, you know, Bianca having given up her voice, she gets the conventional mm. marriage mm -hmm. negotiation, whereas Katerina, who has not given up her voice, <laughs> her, her father is looking to find someone who will love her. Yeah, it is really interesting. I, I did just want to bring up the, the, the RSC production. I know that I, I talked about a little bit where they did a gender reversal and and you know, Bianco was the one with the super, he was, he had super long hair that he was constantly like swishing over his shoulder. Um, and Kate had like a buzz cut and he was just really, and the woman who was playing Petruchia was like really sort of fantastical and had amazing, like crazy Elizabethan costume and hair and everything. And, and, um, and by the end of that first wooing scene, she just held out her hand to the the boy kate who just kind of looked at it and just like jumped right over and and took the hand and there was this really interesting and then that followed up with at their the scene of their wedding he was really upset when he thought that petruchia wasn't coming to get married and and it, as we'll see like there there there's a lot of the language is like i'm going to be so humiliated here I am ready to get married and the groom isn't showing up. Right. So it is just a really interesting, I, I, I don't know why, maybe it was because of the, the gender reversal and they had set up this whole society that was like a matriarchal society where the women had all the money and the power and the marrying power as well. And, and so this, it, it was such an interesting, it just made, it makes you examine what those gender roles are in a, in a certain sense. And that's, that's kind of what I was, was aiming at with, with this casting is like somehow when we, when we reverse the genders, there's something really interesting to me in that we start examining what the gender roles really are as, as, as opposed to our received notions of what gender roles are so this this haggling over the over the bride like how much money what i think is really interesting is you know it's like how much patrugio asked well how much will i get for catherine in the dowry right and he says oh half my land and this huge amount of money 
And now for Bianca, it's who can give her the most, right? So there is this, this interesting negotiation in that they're not demanding, it doesn't sound like they're demanding a dowry, even though we know we're told multiple times that Baptista is very, very wealthy. Both Catherine and Bianca are coming from a huge amount of wealth. But that somehow this wealthy young woman part of the deeds right or the property deeds um in order to wed her you have to pay up as you're saying well like these guys have to pay up in this really interesting way in order to be bianca's husband um anyway oh and an argosy right this (laughs) argosy which is such a great word is a is like a gigantic merchant ship right so think of like uh i'm thinking of the merchant of venice and all of the ships that go out to to see um yeah uh koi did you did you have something that just reminded me of the argonauts and the argos right i think it probably comes from that right from jason potentially potentially yeah which also jason and the argonauts all over merchant of venice yeah, right. All over. Right. All over. Um, and a, a galaxy was a, a cargo ship. And then the 12 galleys uh, would be like trading ships. So he's basically saying like, okay, here, you can have three houses and a small armada. <laughs> can I have your daughter? Like, it's just like kind of ridiculous it's a ridiculous and of course tranio is like make presumably tranio is just making this up we don't that's what's unclear to me is it's like does lucentio seriously is he heir to this much money because it's never really resolved um so i i don't know did anyone have any thoughts on that and uh, inquiries about it's certainly funnier if he's if he's broke and he's just making this up Speaking of broke, wasn't Petruchio talking about how he wanted a bunch of money when we first met him in Act One? Yeah. Yes, he did say he comes to Wyvet wealthily in Padua, but he also said that his father has left him sole heir. So he does have a lot of money. And as we'll see when we meet his servants, his he has enough money for his servants to all be like dressed in matching uniforms and have a very big house. So he's got bank. So it's not an empty, it's not empty when he says that uh, were he to die, she could have all of his lands and titles. That's correct. That's cool. correct. So it seems like there's just, I don't know if anyone knows much about the history of this, but it seems like there's two sorts of dowries, like almost like there's the, you know, there's the money that the the girl's family, that the girl's father gives. And then it seems like on the, on the uh, groom's end, the, they're more the question is like how much will she inherit when the husband dies yes. right is that so I that's think that's the, correct. end of the bargain is like well when i die and and then of course gremio sort of like you know horribly like tries to use that to his advantage or he's like well i'm like 90 so she <laughs> i'm about to die anyway <laughs> 
Yeah, there is a really funny, I, again, I just, I really do love this image of like Tranio not fitting in Lucentio's clothes for some reason, reason, either like Tranio is much taller or much shorter than Lucentio. And I just love the idea that like the hat's falling down and he's like, I'll assure her and just like constantly having to play with his clothes. Um, I think it would be just really, I, I would love to do something like that uh, if I was staging this. Um, and this old Italian fox line, what is this about? What does this mean? This sounds like something out of like the Godfather. So I don't know. <laughs> so my interpretation of that, and I may be wrong, is that what's happening at the end of this scene is that um, Baptista basically has said, well, you better like convince your father to give us all of this stuff that he like to give you all of his wealth now. Uh, instead of before he dies, if you like, because Tranio is saying like, well, my father has all this wealth and, and Baptiste is saying, well, you better convince him to give it to you. And I think Gremio is saying he's not going to give you his money, you idiot. Like old men are not that nice, basically. I think that's what like old Italian grandpas are not that nice. I think it's what <laughs> saying, but I could be wrong. <laughs> but old Italian grandpas are the best. Um <laughs> Yeah, if you should, where's her dower, right? Uh, let your father make her the assurance. Let your father make sure that she is provided for in the event that you, Tranio, disguised as Lucentio, die okay. for your father. So I think it's more like, Got it. I need an assurance that my daughter will be written into your father's will. Like right? a coast Because the, it's, yeah, yeah. Right. And that that she will be a direct benefactor uh, of of your father's will. Um, but Gremio seems to think this is unlikely to happen because yeah. he's like, ah, you know, that's not because well, he's the pantaloon, right? He's the he's the commedia character that like, you know, to to go right. <laughs> to a reference that maybe only a few people here mr burns teddy. from the simpsons he's, he's teddy in the bathtub counting right. the counting the money in our in our comedia class. Oh, <laughs> um they, they, we we were doing comedia exercises of like improvising skits as the character of pantaloon and one of our classmates did an incredible pantomime where she was the old like pantaloon character and she was like in a bathtub with her coins just like counting them and like pouring them really, all over yeah balls. pouring them all over and this is like this is now the image in my mind for the pantaloon characters like the really really miserly like somehow it's erotically charged associations with money and all was looking for a young wife it's Uncle Scrooge in in the the Duck Tales diving into his sea of gold. If anyone knows that cartoon from the old days, Scrooge McDucky. Yeah, Scrooge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. So that was Act Two, my friends. Are there any sort of final thoughts? We we had our sort of setup. Now it's like the characters meet. We still haven't seen uh, Lucentio meeting um, Bianca, and that'll be the, the top of Act 3. And that's really important to me, that that relationship is not as transactional as this interaction has been. Um, 
with the the potential suitors and the father but were there any sort of final thoughts about about act two about any of the characters about the play so far um anything that surprised you uh as we were going through this yeah koi uh i think i'm always interested when movies or shows anything like that has a really important character and you realize that they're actually not doing that much when you look at the script in terms of like everyone can be talking about them or reacting to what's happening but the amount of words that they say or the amount of screen time or stage time they have is not necessarily the most or even the mm -hmm. second most um like i just rewatched the first star wars like Darth Vader is like seven, 10 minutes in the movie, but it's like such a big deal. Um, and Kate kind of seems like that. Like there's so much about, it's all about Kate, but mostly it's about talking about Kate. Yeah. And and she just gets to come on and kind of swing a little bit, like do a couple of little things kind of show off in terms of, yeah, like she gets, as a, as a character, she gets some really awesome scenes, um, but, she's not running the show. She, like there are other mm. shows where you have a character who's basically in every scene and is controlling everything. Oh, um, measure for measure this, the Duke. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's not, that's not Kate. So it's just very interesting because it's like, like many women in many texts, um, yeah. what we know of them is what everyone, all the men say about them. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and it's so little of what they say themselves. I just find that really interesting. Yeah. Any, any other thoughts? Okay, well, thank you, everyone.